2: Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos, I hate calling myself that, and underground metal connoisseur, Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Welcome to the inaugural broadcast of Delirious Nomads, brought to you by Blacklight Media Records. Um, we are honored today to have Metal Blade founder and uh, one of my best friends, Brian Slagle, as our first ever guest. You never forget your first guest. Welcome, Brian.
0: Thank you. So, does this mean I'm a freak now, since I'm the inaugural guest? <laughs> yes.
2: Yes. Well, you were you were you were a freak before this, but you are you are now officially a freak. Yes.
0: Right. Thank you so much. I'm honored.
2: um yeah no so we're super excited to launch this and um and you know we figured since since we none of none of this would be happening without you um it didn't seem right to start to start this this journey um with anybody else but you
0: appreciate that
2: so yeah let's jump right into it um i know you're a busy man um i know matt's got some questions about how we met and stuff but um how i just you know you and i talk on the side but you know for the people who are listening out there like Talk a little bit about how, like, the bands on Metal Blade and the label itself have pivoted and, you know, what they've had to do to adjust in 2020 because of, you know, all this COVID nonsense.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely been interesting. I mean, you know, we've been doing this now for, you know, 38 years. So we've been through a lot of ups and downs in the music business from, you know, the changing of all these formats to the file sharing. So we've kind of seen a lot of things happen, which does prepare you for situations like this which was definitely not anything anybody expected to have happen uh, but you know we've tried to, to pivot as much as we can and we've so far been really lucky for the most part for a variety of reasons number one is we got really active with doing a lot of physical product once things started to open up in Europe and obviously you know promoting all the the internet uh, downloads and streaming stuff and all of that and I have to say that and this has been the case through my entire career is the fans of, of metal are the best fans ever because even during, you know, during the whole file sharing thing, the fans were supporting the bands. And we're seeing that now where, you know, these bands have lost a massive amount of income because they can't tour, but these kids are buying everything they can, all the physical product. They're listening online. They're buying all the bands, merch, anything they can, which kind of makes sense because they're not going to concerts. So they do have a little bit more money, hopefully, uh, and I'm really happy, and, and I know the bands are very happy that they're spending it uh, on on stuff like this.
2: And you know, do you think that there's you know the longer that this goes on, do you do you see like I, I don't know if you tuned into that um, Mr. Bungle live stream last weekend? I did. Um, Halloween weekend, it was amazing. It was really really great. They did a great job. They sounded amazing. Um, they threw in some humor because of course because they're Mr. Bungle. But you know, um, I you know it was the first. I mean, I've been you know I've been watching the sleigh at home fest from metal injection and a few things, but, I, but this was the first one where it kind of, I got, you know, some friends, uh, Derek Prince and other, other friends that we know, um, I got them all to buy a ticket quote unquote, and, uh, we all bought a t-shirt. Um, and so we all kind of watched this live stream together And we were even like texting each other on the side, like, you know, when we would go to get a beer from the fridge, like, hey, I'm going to the bar. You want anything? And it was all funny, but it was actually obviously no replacement for a live show. But it actually felt like we were connecting and we were connecting while watching this live stream and texting on the side. But I mean, do you you think we're going to see more and more and more of that?
0: Oh, I hope so. Uh, I mean, I've been really impressed with what a lot of bands have done. I mean, I kind of look at the Bell Weather so far as the behemoth. I don't know if you saw that, but it's one of the most spectacular things I've ever seen in my entire life. I and mean, they spent a lot of money to make this massive insane production. It's almost like a movie and it's pretty amazing and, and other bands have done really a really good job with this and, and I love what's going on here because even though we can't go to concerts, you're getting even a, a different experience with a lot of these bands that they couldn't necessarily do in a concert setting like the behemoth and like so many of these other ones that are being done. And I've been talking to a lot of managers and agents and stuff moving forward that I would really like it if every band would do at least one live stream during a tour when we get back to that at some point. Because, you know, there's kids always complain, oh, you're not coming to my city or, you know, right. they don't, they can't go to Alaska, they can't go to North Dakota. And, all you know, we've got fans of these bands all over the place and the same thing in Europe and other parts of the world where they can't see them. And this is a great way to see it. People are used to it now because they've done this a lot and they've really enjoyed it. And so many people are really doing a great job presenting these things. So I hope moving forward that we continue to see this even when touring comes back. But certainly in the short term, I know most of our big bands are either planning or getting ready to do some sort of live streaming. They're all doing different things that they wouldn't normally do in a concert setting, which is great because you get to see a little bit of a different side. You know, some bands are talking about doing full records, uh, all this sort of stuff. So I I love it. And I think it's a really cool thing, even moving forward after we get back to normal, which hopefully is sometime soon.
2: I have this like crazy theory that hopefully turns out to be correct um, that, you know, rock and metal, are so dependent on you know live shows and there's such a connection between you know the, the live show and and the, and the fan as opposed to other genres of music and not which is not to, not to speak badly about them but you know typically if you know if you're a fan of hip-hop or whatever it's you're more you're, you're more interested in the actual music than you are than you're actually you know they're they're out there touring these the artists so i have this feeling or this hope that when things get back to normal we're just going to see in general like um A resurgence in rock and metal in the mainstream. That it can, you know, maybe it's never going to hit 1980s um, level popularity and be, you know, the preeminent kind of genre. But I see it potentially rising above uh, once concerts are back in because people are going to flock to shows. When it's time to do shows again, I mean, it's going to be insane. Those shows are going to be nuts.
0: I just think everything is going to be nuts. You know, you look at because this is uh, such an interesting moment in time because we went through this similarly in the late 19. in 1919 and 1918 with the Spanish flu. And then once that, you know, kind of got sorted out, people had been inside for a year and a half. And that's how you had the roaring 20s. The 20s went crazy. And I think we will, again, a hundred years later, have the roaring 20s. I'm sure that live <laughs> concerts and live performances, I mean, yeah, people, they're going to be crazy when it, when it really first comes back.
2: Yeah, I agree. Those mosh pits ought to be something I need to stay far away from at my age. You and me both. uh matt let's let's hear from you
1: let yeah let's get into this just for the
2: for for the for
1: the casual uh fan who maybe doesn't fully understand the the backstory here chris and brian how did you guys meet each other and at what point did you go like okay like i really fuck with this guy
0: (laughs) so uh johan Heg, the lead singer of amanda Martha, is a very close friend of mine he was uh, he and his wife were staying at my house in california once and we were just talking about stuff and this was right after they had done the mayhem tour that, that chris was out on yeah backstory to that chris went out for a couple weeks and cooked for all the bands and hung out and did stuff for jägermeister and everything so so johan was like you know obviously you guys had a, had a really great connection and You went, hey, hey do you know this guy chris santos they go no. He's oh, he's a celebrity chef. He's on this TV show Chop. I'd never heard of that show before, so I went on my Twitter to just go check it out, and I you know saw him look cool, so I followed him, and then he followed me, and then we kind of became Twitter friends, you know. And he's in New York. And he's you know we started talking via the you know DMing on Twitter. And then I'm pretty sure the for, the first show we met at was Slayer in New York, where I yeah. met in person. And also Chris knows you know the Slayer guys well, so we, we kind of hung out that night and just kind of clicked. Uh, similar taste in music, uh, similar personalities. I think but even our our path to to you know as a childhood and everything was very very similar. So we just kind of clicked and, be, and we became friends really over music first. I didn't even really think about the restaurants or, or chopped or any of that stuff. I just thought, Oh, this guy's a really cool metalhead and a, and a good guy. So it wasn't really until about a year after I'd met him, we would hung out a few times in New York at shows. I was like, I probably should go to one of his restaurants just to check it out. But I was very nervous. Because he become a good friend of mine. And, you know, what happens if I go and the food's terrible? How do I, what do I do? So I, I had a whole bunch of people that came with us, Alex Skolnick and his girlfriend, who strangely enough, their first date was at Stanton Social. Yep. And this was at Beauty and Essex. So anyway, we all went out. And, of course, the food was some of the best food I've had, I've had in my entire life. And uh, I didn't have to have any uncomfortable conversation with Chris other than, can you make this more? (laughs) But uh, so that was it. And then, you know, ever since then, we've been good friends. And then, you know, we started hanging out. I think the first time that we started playing like music together was this famous July 4th evening a few years ago. Uh, I went to Chris's party in, in New York City and we ended up having quite a few adult beverages and we're talking about music. And the next thing he knows, he starts playing me all this, all this music that he's heard that I hadn't heard yet. And the next thing I know, the sun is coming up, which I haven't done that in years prior to that. And he just turned me on to so many great bands. The first one that we ended up contacting was a band called, if these trees could talk. And we ended up signing them. Then we signed Kanderia. Then he mentioned harm's way and we signed them. Then he mentioned mother feather and we signed them. So all these bands that he was telling me about, I totally loved. We ended up signing, and I kept telling him like Do you want to do a label, or do you want to do an A and R thing?" He's like, "No, no, no. I don't have enough time. I'm not going to do it." And I think it, it was, in fact, I remember vividly where it was. It was at a Mother Feather show in New York, where I told Chris that we had signed Harm's Way. Said, so "That's it. I
2: want to do a label. I'm like, All right, let's do it." Yeah, yeah. There you are. That's yeah. That's it. That's, that's awesome. A good synopsis. I can't believe that you needed a, a Viking from Sweden to point you out to the, like the more, most popular show on Food Network, though.
0: <laughs> I know. I was. I was. I had never watched it before. And then also the backstory to that, after going to the restaurant and stuff, I, I, in, the middle of, there's in the middle of summer, I'm a big sports fan and there's, I'm not a big baseball fan. So in the middle of summer, I started to binge watch Chopped and all the ones that Chris was on. So that was pretty funny.
2: And then the flip side of that for me, Matt, is um, you know I knew who Brian was when I was a teenager. So I grew up outside of Providence, Rhode Island, and got turned on to metal. Uh, Marshall Fate specifically is what changed uh, my whole perspective when I was about 12, but Around a year after that or so, um, I, st- you know, every Saturday I would take the bus from my little small town um, to Providence to- and go to the record store and buy all the new metal records. And basically, it started- this is like between 84 and 86. And so everything that came out was either on, you know, Metal Blade or Combat or I don't even remember what else was out back then. But um, but it's funny, I have a display in my, I'm in my office and I have a display of a bunch of old cassette tapes. And literally right in front of me is Fate's Warning, Awaken the Guardian, which is one of my favorite records of all time but like i just remember brian who brian slagle was i mean i I didn't really follow him but you just knew who he was and then so Mm -hmm. i met him i don't know what what was that maybe six years ago now so so that would make me that would make it like around 30 years that i knew who he was and and you know and and knew what a legend he was in the field but never never knew that we would meet each other And, and to you know to his point we kind of Gravity. Uh, as soon as we started hanging out, it was like we're, we were very fast friends, very fast. Um, and so, uh, yeah. And now he comes to my restaurants all the time. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you. Uh, and uh, yeah, the rest is kind of history. So here we are, three years, four years. When did three? When did we? When did Blacklight Media go live? Is it, it
0: might be three? Time by time goes by so fast. Like twenty seventeen. No, there. Yeah, three years. Yeah. There you go. Yeah.
2: Wow. Three years. Um, we've, you know, we've got some great bands on the label and uh, a lot of a lot of new exciting stuff in the works. But, yeah, I'm really looking forward to to growing this thing. And so, I, I you know, I don't say it enough. Thanks for the opportunity. Why do you think that you know, there's so much new metal out there? And, you know, we talk about this every day when we're looking at bands. For, you know, the three of us talk about this every day, almost when we're talking about signing bands and stuff. But why do you think that, you know, the legends of metal are still like at the top of their game when they're in their 60s and 70s? You know, I'm thinking of like Judas Priest and, you know, even Metallica. Um, you know, the longevity, I guess. What do you think the secret to the longevity of, of all these legendary bands is? Well,
0: it's a couple of things. Like I, I've been obsessed over the last couple of years with reading every autobiography I can on rock and, and metal stuff. So you get to uh, learn a lot more about some of these guys that you know a little bit, but you don't know their whole story. And every single one of them, and I just finished Rob Halford's book, which is phenomenal, by the way, every single one of them is a passionate fan of the music. You know, whether it's Metallica, ACDC, Judas Priest, all, you know, Iron Man, all these bands, they love to create music. I remember Metallica was on Howard Stern when when Hardwired came out. and Howard Stern's like, why why do you make music anymore? I mean, you guys can just tour and, and make tons of money. And they all said, we're artists. We want to create music. This is what we do. This is what we live for. And every one of these bands is doing it, and they're still doing it at a really high level. And and I think the other kind of part of it too is I equated a lot to to sports. We got guys who play sports. See, these guys retire, and they're all retiring at you know young ages, and they're just crying and they're a mess because they can't fulfill that you know playing in front of twenty thousand people and that rush. That you can't do that if you're not playing sports. Whereas music, you know, these guys can continue to do this for a long time. It's a, it's a rush for them. You know, imagine you're going on stage in front of, you know, whether it's five, 10, 15, 20, a hundred thousand people, and you have all of those people in the palm of your hands. And it's kind of this synchronicity of everybody together enjoying the music. That's a powerful rush. And, and these bands love it. They absolutely love doing it and they love being on the road. They love seeing the fans and, it's that way for all of them because we're all kind of on, in the same thing, and I think there's not a real big window between the fans and, and the artists because we're all kind of the same thing, and and we all have that same synergy. So it's it's I think those two reasons why because they love doing it, they love the music, they love creating, they love performing, and also the fact that that it, like I said, it's got to be it's got to be a crazy rush.
2: Yeah, it has to be. You make a good point. I mean, I know you and I are big fans of MMA. Um, which this podcast is going to dabble in, um, probably not today. But that's why we see so many fighters hang around too long, right? And they, and they end up, like Anderson Silva, losing a bunch of fights at the end of their career and, and really taking punches and kicks that they shouldn't be taking because of that, what you just said, like they missed the rush of getting out there.
0: Well, yeah, our, our good friend, Josh Barnett, who
2: is... Yeah, the- I, just, I just ran into him on the street, believe it or not. Oh, I love it. Two weeks ago, I ran into him. He told me he was heading over to somewhere to, to fight in a bare-knuckle boxing match. Holy.
0: Well, I saw him when he left the UFC, uh, I was talking to him and he, he would just joined Bellator. Like he's like, you know, not old, but he's an like, older guy, getting older. He's got all these business interests. He's really successful. I go, why? What do you need to go fight for? You don't need to do that anymore. And he looked at me straight in the eyes and said, I love to fight. Yeah. That's really what it is.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: You wanna, and that's the same thing we, we see about the, the metal uh, community, the metal band, which thankfully a much safer uh, way yeah. of things.
1: Brian, something I found, and you just kind of alluded to it when you were talking about reading a lot of autobiographies, something I've always found fascinating about you is sort of this insane lifelong dedication to metal on a level that almost no one else has ever had. (laughs) What keeps you coming back after essentially crafting the genre in your image 40 years ago? Why are you still doing it? I love it. I just like we talk about the bands. I I love doing it. I love the music. I love
0: the scene. I love everything about it. I mean, I've I've basically dedicated my entire life to do this. And I feel that, you know, I I still can, we can still find cool bands still work with stuff. I just love to turn people on to new music. It's really the bottom line. It's not about any sort of thing. I don't really care about money or any of that sort of stuff. I love to turn people on to new music. I love to hear a new band, and work with them, and then put the record out, and have people go, "Oh man, this band's really cool," and, and just get the feedback of that stuff. It's so much fun, and it continues the legacy. Because you know, when when we all started out in in the early early '80s, metal was you know everybody thought it was a fad; it was going to go away. People were looking at, at at us like, "What are you people doing? Nobody's going to care about this music in five years." And all of us fans and bands, we all felt like you're crazy. This is the greatest music ever. And we, we, we connected to it so much. We love it. And, you know, I we used to do the metal blade t-shirts back in the eighties with the whole heavy metal will never die on the back because everybody kept saying it was going to die. And here we are, you know, fast forward to 2020, where it's alive and well. And, you know, I like to think that we play a little bit of part in that, but it's fun. I, I love working with the bands. They're all really good friends of mine. And, uh, and it's just great to, to see people be successful and put out good music and see the kids like it. And, and it's just such a I just love this genre because it's so real. And, you know, the fans are great and the bands are great. There's so few people in the genre that you go, like, oh, I don't know about that guy. I almost, almost everybody is really great and, and really into it. And that makes it fun.
2: Do you think that this is where we're at now, though? Do you think that I mean it's it's still it's a, obviously a very popular genre and one of the one of the um, you know most heavily listened to genres like on you know all the streaming services. But most people listen to serious and there are metal stations. But like I guess what I'm trying to ask is, do you ever see a return to the glory days of rock radio and headbangers ball and you know not in those forms exactly, or do you think we you know metal is now just forged its way as kind of the um, you know on the on the edges of you know. Like you can't find, you know, when I'm in a car, if I'm in an Uber, um, or if I'm in a car driving anywhere and don't have satellite radio, this you can't find rock radio anywhere in this country anymore. I feel like.
0: Yeah, it, it it's few and far between, but you know, it's hard to say. I think that there's a lot of factors that go into that sort of stuff, and. Well, obviously right now the big genre of music is hip-hop and pop music and that's been going on for quite a long time but i do see that the metal stuff creeping in more you see you know i mean armored saint you know a seminal band that's been around a long time they you know cracked the billboard top 40 in the top 200 which is you know up against all these big artists i mean there's there's yeah. definitely a, a fan base out there we're seeing the numbers continue and i do think at some point the pendulum kind of swings back the other way it's been swung and in that sort of pop world for so long, but it's kind of swinging back now where I'm hoping the younger brothers and sisters, these guys like, I don't want to listen to their music. I want to listen to my own music. And, and there's a lot. And the only thing is it's so, even though there's not a lot of rock radio and there's not a headbangers ball, there's not a specific, place to go to really find out about new music but there is so many ways and and the access to music now is so easy you know whether it's it is the streaming or youtube or whatever it is you know you have so much easy access to music and i think that that's what makes a lot of these bands become really really big like when i'm on a market as massive as they were if they there wasn't this exposure to the music that anybody can hear it and then if it's good they'll support it that's a big thing so it's hard to predict the future. What's going to happen, and we don't know. I mean, look—if you would have told you know us in 1982 that you know Metal Blade would do this 38 letters, and years later Metallica would be one of the biggest bands in the history of music, and all these crazy things, we would never have predicted or believed that. So, so I don't, you never know. I mean, it could be a point in time where just something becomes the vehicle that that everybody goes to to check out this music. And once more and more people get into it, then it, it becomes bigger. But I also think that it's much bigger than people give it credit for. It's the number two, when there was touring, of course, number two genre in all ticket sales throughout the world for like five or 10 years in a row. And we're either number two or three genres on the streaming services. So right. it's a lot bigger than people make it out to be. The only thing is the mainstream media doesn't talk about it. You know, you're not going to see these guys on TV or, you know, in, in big publications or on People magazine or any of that stuff. It just isn't isn't quite there. So it's kind of still still this underground thing that's still really big, but it also keeps an integrity because, you know, what if it gets really massive again, you know, who knows? What we saw all saw what happened at the end of the eighties and the nineties where it almost did get killed but it 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 came back so i I kind of like being big, but I don't know if I, if you want to be you know me- mega media big <laughs> right
2: right right sure
1: what I wanted to kind of dig into um for both of you, and you both have kind of alluded to this earlier in the interview is you know being excited to share uh quote unquote good bands with fans right to each of you what makes a band good and worthy of sharing with a larger audience
0: well I'll, I'll, mine's pretty simple I, there's there isn't anything other than my gut i i, I sure. can't tell you how it works why it works just if i hear something literally within five seconds i can go oh i like this and i'll listen to it more or i hear it in five seconds and not really into it, but it's just a gut. There's no real formula. There's nothing I'm really looking for. It's just something new and different is very important. Uh, I like stuff that's not, doesn't sound, you know, I don't want to hear another band that sounds like Black Dahlia Murder or Amon Amon. I want to hear something new and something different. So it's about the only criteria I have, but honestly, it's, it's just a gut thing where I'll hear something and I'll go, wow, I really like this. I, I need to get more involved in it.
2: Yeah, my answer would be similar. I mean, my whole life. Well, one of the things about me, and I, and I think Blacklight Media follows, is you know I grew up in the '80s, and I didn't. You know, it seemed like every like channeling my high school me. I feel like you know you, it was only one way or the other. Like either you liked Motley Crue and Rat, or you or you liked Slayer and and you know Dark Angel and Possessed. So you couldn't you couldn't like both, and that just wasn't me. I, I kind of you know I I like rock music. I like you know two guitars, bass, drums, vocal, and it doesn't really matter if it's super heavy or if it's it doesn't have to be so um but it's it's always things that grab me like i remember when i was in culinary school the four years i was in culinary school i worked at v rock club in providence rhode island which is small room 300 400 cap or whatever and i got to see some great bands cuz it was you know the late 80s and early 90s uh, you know got to see like you know white zombie and pantera and Um, you know, in these these small rooms. I don't remember what the show was, but I know that the place was packed to the gills and in between songs, in between bands rather, the venue played Faith No More's The Real Thing. Um, And I just remember over the din of this, of, you know, four or 500 people, you know, screaming over the music, talking to each other. I just remember being like, what the fuck is this? Like song after song, like this is amazing. When I heard Merciful Fate for the first time as a 12 year old, I just remember being like, what the fuck is this? I remember being seven, eight years old and my brother my older brother playing, you know, Cheap Trick and Kiss Alive Two and being like, What is this? And so that's what it is to me. It's when I hear something and go, What is this? And the second part of it is for me, um, is the life is the live experience. I mean, I've always been I'm a concert junkie. And so um, you know, I think that the fifth member or the sixth member of the band is is, is how they come across live. You know, it's it's not, you know, when you watch a lot of Bands from other genres, it's not a lot of energy on the stage. Songs might be great, but there's not, you know, I I mean, I don't just love metal. I love lots of bands, uh, lots of music. And, you know, like, like I went and saw Kings of Leon, who I'm a fan of. And Natalie, my wife is a fan of, we saw them at the Hollywood Bowl and they sounded great and we, and we love them, but they just stood there and played their instrument. There's no show, you know what I mean? And I think that's, what's really unique to metal is there's such a huge show. So for me, it's first, you know, a unique sound. And then secondly is, you know, when you catch a band that you, you don't you've never seen before, you've only heard a little and you and you see them and you see how they take that music and transform it into a really, really energetic you know, performance. It's, really, it's like performance art. Um, that to me is a big part of it, too. Yeah.
0: And, and, that, and that definitely elevates the band, too. When you when you hear them on, you know, you hear the music first, and then you see them live. And if they can elevate that, like you're saying, Chris, that's another huge part of it. You make one really, really interesting point. I want to I want to talk about this because I think it's really important. So you're completely right about, you know, if you like Motley Crue, you couldn't like Slayer, or, or if you like Slayer, you couldn't like Queens, or whatever it was. And Faith No More, it's interesting you mentioned that, because Faith No More was the band that broke all those barriers down. Yeah. When The Real Thing came out, we were lucky enough to be able to do all the marketing promotion for that record, because we were at Warner Brothers, and it was on Slash, and they were our friends, and we did t- we did guerrilla marketing, like there's no tomorrow for that record, because I was really passionate about that album. I thought it was phenomenal. And did everything in our power we could to to make it happen. It took months and months and months, but it finally did. But that was the band that all of a sudden everybody got into. If you like Slayer or or Venom or Motley Crue or or you know, even you know, The Cure, you could love Faith No More And that broke down all those barriers, which was just such an amazing thing to see.
2: Yeah, I mean, that was a great record. They were they were a great band, and anything that Mike Patton does is just gold, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Exactly. Have you guys listened to Have you guys listened to that new Mr. Bungle from beginning to end?
0: I haven't had time yet. I've been. I mean, we've, we've been dealing with so many reissues and masterings of stuff. i have kind of stuck in that world for a minute, but I'm gonna. I'm uh, <clears throat> taking a, a little bit of a break from some of that stuff because I think we're done with everything. So I'm excited about the new ACDC record coming out. And yeah, I got to listen to that Mr. Bungle from.
2: from it's incredible. Scotty is all over it though. Scotty and Dale are definitely like, like that. So it's an early demo from the '80s that they re-recorded. Um, and pretty, from what I understand, uh, you know, pretty true to the original material, but Scott and Dave brought a, you know, a little bit of a different energy to it. And like, you listen to that, you put it on, if I didn't tell you what it was, or, and you know, metal, you would know from the first, from the very first riff that that's Scott Ian playing guitar on that record.
0: Look, anything that Dave Lombardo does, I'm a fan of, and the same, same with Scott Ian. They're both
2: brilliant. Yeah. It's really, really, really good.
1: What projects truly excite you right now, especially in the face of COVID where some of the things that excite us are not are different than we thought they were going to be at the beginning of the year.
0: <laughs> right. Well, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, I, you know, obviously I'm excited by a lot of stuff and, and obviously we have pretty much every band going in the studio making music now. And I think because of what's going on, there's going to be a lot of really great creativity. One thing that I am really been really excited about, and we're doing a lot of this on, on many, many levels is just doing tons and tons of vinyl. And we're trying to do we're trying because i love packaging i grew up in the 70s where you know alice cooper had these crazy packages and all these people do packaging so i'm really into packaging especially with vinyl because that's what i grew up on that's what i love so we've been doing a lot of really really tons of reissues you know from you know lizzie borden to fate's morning to merciful fate you know everybody uh but we're trying to do a lot of cool stuff with the packaging and with the colors of the vinyl and just trying to create something really fun and and we've got into this really great rhythm right now with the fans where they love it. And we're, I mean, we're selling out of everything almost before we can of even really make enough of it. So that's really fun. And I'm really excited to see, you know, what all these bands are going to do when they're making records. I mean, the, the two recent records that we had come out, I mentioned the Armored Saint earlier, which I think is one of if maybe not even their best record, their biggest charting record ever. Uh and the new Fates Warning record also, which, you know, again, two bands that have been around for a long time, but making really relevant creative music now. So I'm I'm excited for that. And then you know we have all of our most of our big bands are are in the studio with Records coming out next year. So I'm really excited to see what all of that transpires from. And then you know there's always a bunch of new bands that you really like and it's always curious to see what the fans are going to think of that because you, you just never know. Sometimes they love it, sometimes they don't. But we're all obviously hoping that they all love it. What
2: uh, what's happening in the next year with Metal Blade or not even Metal Blade? What are you most looking forward to hearing in the next you know year or so?
0: It's hard to say. I mean, like I said, I'm I'm hoping the whole ACDC record is good. I've heard it is from a couple of my friends who've heard it. I, I love that first song. So that being an old school, I mean, they were in my favorite band when I was like 16. So them coming back is really, is really exciting me. I'm really curious to see, I'm also a big Rammstein fan mm-hmm. and the last record was really not great at all. And I, I knew people that worked on it and I, you know, the band wasn't happy with it and it wasn't really that great a record. So they're back in the studio now, I think to prove a point. So I'm hoping that that's going to be uh, pretty cool. And, you know, and with that, I can't wait to see them live again because that's one of the most amazing spectacles I've yeah, ever. Yeah, I have never
2: seen them live.
0: I mean, you could watch the videos on YouTube and you know get a a a, a taste of it, but it's in in person. It's the most intense, over the top thing I've ever seen. It's, it's nuts.
1: Yeah, yeah. Every time I have seen them, I've been like, "Wait, what the fuck?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, like like this shouldn't happen. <laughs>
2: Yeah,
0: they they their early stuff is crazy. They were like shooting fire in these little tiny uh, clubs. They were they were just nuts. But yeah, amazing.
2: They got really big, really fast. I feel like.
0: Yeah, it took a while. Just like anything else, it took a while. It seems like it was an overnight thing, but they what they what they did was they're huge in Europe, and they wanted to play a U.S. show like a big U.S. show. They played you know clubs or you know small theaters. But they wanted to do one here and everybody thought, they're, you know, you don't have – you had one big record and the other records aren't selling. You're, you guys are nuts. So they went to Madison Square Garden, put the show on sale and literally sold out in an hour because people had seen on YouTube these amazing shows they're doing over in Europe. And they're saying we're bringing everything we do in Europe to Madison Square on, on this night. And I, I was there and it was spectacular. And that's kind of what set them to the next level live. And their records still don't sell a ton in the U.S., but live is just over the top. They're going to do stadiums now in the U.S. It's crazy.
2: It's crazy. It's totally crazy. Who would have thought? I mean, that. that I mean, who would have thought? I mean, Molly Crew, that, Def, um, Def Leppard, and Poison were about to do a stadium tour. I mean, could you imagine that in 1986? That right. that is happening in 2020. You know, it's funny when you when you mentioned a little earlier that it's 38 years. Um, I think it's forever 35 years because I have the book in front of me here in my office, Yeah, but uh, 38 years. So where do you think metal blade and metal will be in 38 years from now? What's metal in 2058 look like?
0: Yeah, right. Uh, Yeah. I don't know that I'll be still alive at that point. (laughs) I hope maybe.
2: I did the the math. I'll be 87. So that puts you a few years older than me.
0: Although I did, I did, and I never do this, but I did once went to a, a psychic just because my friend wanted to go, and I'm like, yeah, why not? And this woman like said all this crazy stuff that there's no way she would have known. And she did say I had a long lifeline, so I'm gonna, I'm going with that. So maybe I'll, I'll be around. But you know, I, I mean, I just hope that you know we're very staunchly independent like i don't want to sell the yeah. company i don't want to lose control of the company i want it to stay independent you know i'm, I'm hoping that a lo- i mean we've got so many great people working for us that have been there forever that you know are going to pick up the mantle piece probably when I get a little too old to, to be doing it so I, I just hope we continue to do the same thing and, and continue the legacy and and hopefully metal can exist you know for another 30 40 years as as a genre i mean you know who knows where everything's going but you never thought 38 years ago it'd be this way, anyway.
2: I should know this, but I don't. Have you ever done like at any of the festivals? Have you ever, has there ever been a metal blade stage or a metal blade package tour?
0: So we've done a lot of those. We we did. Uh, we had a whole uh, mayhem. Wait, mayhem or Ozfest? I forget which one now. Where the entire side stage was all metal blade bands. It was like Cannibal, Black Dahlia, Whitechapel, Behemoth and I forget who the first, one. so we had a whole stage to ourselves and we've done a lot of, you know, tours, We you know, we always do anniversary tours. We did a bunch, we did stuff at uh, metal fest in, uh, in New England, where we had a whole day, to our, towards our yeah. it was basically a metal blade festival. We've done the same thing in Europe, at some of the big festivals there, where we'll carve a piece out. It'll be like a metal blade festival. So we've we've done a lot of that stuff over the years.
2: Hmm. Any any interest? Does it work? Did it work out? Was it something that that is worth doing in the in the future or, or not really?
0: Well, yes and no. I mean, it's great. It works out really well, but for us at the label, it's so much work it's really crazy stressful even when we do these little uh uh you know one-off you know 35th anniversaries or whatever shows at, you know a house of blues or something it's just crazy stressful because you know everybody wants free tickets everyone it's just it's stressy so i'm sure that stuff like that will happen again and and we love you know when the bands all get together and and go out under the, the one flag it's really cool but but it's a lot for the employees i'm not i think that the bands would do it and the fans would love it i'm not sure that our employees would love it as much though
2: (laughs) i mean i just remember the one black light media showcase was so much work for for um for your it's
0: it's it's fun but there's a massive amount of stress before because you want everything to go well it's you know your name's on the line so to speak so it's extra added pressure
2: yeah yeah for sure
1: as we head towards the end here do you have any words of wisdom, Brian, for young bands trying to navigate the hell year?
0: Yeah, right. Well, uh, yeah, uh, it's a good time to hone your, your skills and your craft, right? So the one thing that I tell bands, I, there's, there's three things that I think are really important for any new band number one is make music only for yourselves only for the three four five army people in the band make it for yourselves don't listen to what people are telling you to do and don't try to copy your favorite band if you like i said if you're a black dahlia murder fan that's great and incorporate some influences there but don't try to sound like them try to have a unique sound and try to do something that that you want because too many bands get caught up in listening to what everybody thinks and and they lose their their focus if you ask Metallica, Judas Priest, ACDC, Iron Man, you like any of those bands, who do you make music for? We make music for ourselves. And luckily, other people like it. And that's the most important thing in terms of the creative process. Then somebody in the band, you know, it could be one, it could be two, but somebody in the band needs to have some sort of a business background. Because what you have to realize as a band is that you don't work for us. We work for you. The label works for you. The lawyers work for you. The agents work for you. We working for you, not the other way around. I think a lot of bands feel that, you know, especially when you get signed to a label, like, oh, well, you know, we're, we're working for them. So no, you're working for yourself. And you need to have a business background because, you know, it's a tough business there. And while there are a lot of great people there, a lot of bands, why they fail is because they're involved with the wrong people. They didn't understand business. So you just got to get one guy. Every Again, every major band has one, maybe two people in there that run the business. And you have to run it and you have to be there for yourself. So those are two things. Get on social media, get active, build your following that way. It's a really easy way to get out. It doesn't, it's not going to cost you any money. You know? Hashtag a million things, follow a million other bands. Uh, and that that's really helps us because you know by the time we sign a band, even though if you don't have any of that stuff and we love the band, we'll still do it. It just makes it more helpful for you to become successful when there's already kind of an existing fan base and you also understand how to work the social media and that stuff because it's that really has become so so important with getting bands off the ground
2: do you think um, you know there's a percentage of a large percentage of restaurants that aren't going to make it back What percentage of um, bands do you think are gonna not make it back because they simply can't afford you know um, you know, I'm talking about some of the younger bands, or, or you know, bands that have only have a one record or don't have a huge, huge fan base. Like, do you, do you see a big falling off of those bands, not make, not coming back, or do you think everyone's going to be coming back pretty strong?
0: You know, we'll see. I, I think, luckily, you know, the the bigger bands that that we have and and the other ones I've I've talked to, they're they're going to survive somehow. The smaller bands is going to be tough. I mean, I, I think in certain ways, it's. You know, they're just going to go up about their normal business. I mean, maybe there's going to be some smaller bands that, that had that life choice of, okay, I'm either going to stay in the band or I'm going to go to school or I'm going to get a real job. We might lose some of that. But there's so many bands out there that I think those people that might leave because, again, of, of those sort of things, maybe weren't in it for the long haul anyway – So I think I think it'll be okay. I think the genre will be fine. I think there'll be a a bunch of new bands that come up and do well. So you know, we'll see. I'm more worried about the concert venues. That's really. Where we're going to have a huge problem because I don't know mm-hmm. these are not going to be able to survive unless there's some sort of help from the government, which really hasn't come yet. You know, a lot of people, have, a lot of them have done GoFundmes and and have existed for a while, but I, I'm really, really concerned about that. I think that's going to be the biggest problem coming back. Is are we going to have enough venues to have bands be able to play? So we'll see.
2: There you go. It's rough out there.
0: I do have one last little thing. I want to ask Mr. Santos a question.
2: Oh, boy. Here you go. Do it.
0: So obviously we talked for quite a while about you, you know, A&R doing a label or something. And then that one night just kind of clicked in. So what really clicked in for you that you finally said, like, yeah, I want to do this. And, and you know, that was three years ago. And, and you know, even though obviously you've got your, your main job, you, you've put a lot, of, a lot of effort into this. And I'm just curious what, what kind of clicked into you to want to be able to do this and and, you know, three years in, still, if not even more, having the passion for it.
2: Well, it's funny. It's You know, they say, like, don't meet your heroes. And um, to me, that's a similar analogy to this and my other love, which is combat sports and boxing and MMA specifically. And, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a, I just applied to be, um, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm so busy all the time. Why am I busy? Because I keep taking on more. I just applied with the California State Athletic Commission to become a licensed judge uh, for boxing and MMA events and uh the reason i did it now is because if you ever notice when you watch boxing or mma all the judges typically typically not always but typically are you know in their 60s or 70s because in order to become a professional judge you have to spend years and years in the amateur circuit um but anyway i just can't help myself right you know uh, it'd be much easier to sit back and just enjoy the sport it would be much much easier to sit back and enjoy the music but I, my passion is, you know, there's th- three things I'm passionate about food, metal, and, and you know, and combat sports. And, uh, you know, food has dominated the last 35 years of my life. And, you know, I'm still I'm still in it and I'm not walking away from it. But I am definitely taking baby steps backwards so I can fit these other things in while I still can. I feel like, you know, I don't know. I'm not meant to do just one thing. And I don't want to do anything that feels like a job. Um, this doesn't feel like a job to me. If anything, I'm constantly pining and, you know, I'm so grateful for you and your whole team and for Matt um, for and Ryan and just the whole, the whole team, because I don't have the time, but I'm very much looking forward to a time where I can really, you know, um, maybe I'll never have an office at metal blade, you know, at, at the metal blade offices, but I'll certainly have a home office that's really um, connected. And a lot of the stuff that you guys do for me now, I'll be able to do it myself. And, the goal is to keep it fun and um going back to circling back to something you said earlier i mean for me a lot of the motivation for this is just getting more ears on the the music that i love you know it's it's always you know what before we started doing this and actually i still do it um but before we started doing this uh you know i i'm kind of the guy in my social circle um who is sending out you know um links on, you know, Apple Music or whatever, um, you know, I still do it. Uh, did you hear this? Or you got to hear this? Or this is this new band I just heard, uh, you know, you know. and I used to actually send you, I've stopped kind of sending you stuff because I felt like everything I send you, you think I'm sending you for the label and that's not true. But if you remember before we did this, I used to send you stuff all the fucking time, like, listen to this, listen to this, listen to this. And that's really what it's about for me is I still have the enthusiasm that I had when I was a teenager. And in fact, I think I, it's, it's as I get older, instead of it kind of wearing off there are certain genres uh, like black metal and death metal that w- never really appealed to me for a large part of my life that now all of a sudden are appealing to me, you know, you know, and I'm just discovering, you know, this stuff when I'm, uh, you know, a few months away from turning 50. So I guess it's a long winded answer, but it's just, it's just, it really just comes down to, I have a huge passion for it. Um, I love discovering bands. I have a lot of, um, you know, uh, I don't have illusions of grandeur. I'm not trying to, um, you know, have Blacklight media become the biggest label in the world, but I certainly, certainly see it. Growing and be, being a, a real deal, um, you know, player in the industry, and but, you know, obviously, it doesn't hurt that we're we're part of the Metal Blade family. So, yeah, I love it. It's just, you know, if it ever if it ever feels like a job or like to be totally honest with you, I, I love what I do, and I'm very fortunate with what I do. But you know, after 35 years of doing it, you know, sometimes it can feel a little bit more like a job than a passion um, when it when it comes to being in the restaurants. And, and most days are good but I'm just being honest after 35 years. And I think any, anyone for the most part would, would say that maybe not you, <laughs> but you know, this is, this is something new that I think is going to, you know, I, I want to, um, you know, idle, what do they say? Idle hands or the devil's playground. Like <laughs> I want to, I want to stay busy and active for another 30 years, you know, for another 30 years. And I want to, I want to be involved in things that I'm really passionate about. And, and metal is one of them and, and boxing and MMA is the other. And, um, and I'll always, I mean, I, I, I say that I'm getting a little burnt out or I want to take backward steps away from the restaurant business, but that's probably never truly going to happen. We all know that. Feel free to
0: keep sending me stuff.
2: Yeah. yeah no, I will. I will. I will. I got a disclaimer, not for the label, just for your ears. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> all right. Well, listen, man, thank you very much. You were our beta test. This is our first podcast. So thank you for dealing with us while we work out our kinks. But I think it went pretty well.
0: Yeah, it's all good. Fun.
2: All right. So that was awesome. Thank you everyone out there for listening to Delirious Nomads, sponsored by Blacklight Media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow Blacklight Media on socials for new music and more, and above all, keep it heavy. Hello out there!
0: Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. So please subscribe to Numbut The Brave on your favorite podcasting
1: platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road.
0: Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!
1: Hey, everyone. This is Tuck from Fit For A King, an off-road minivan. Every week, I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more, We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent
0: Media.